Hi, I'm Rachel Dillon. And I'm Marcus Dillon. And this podcast is Who's Really the Boss, where we highlight the joys and challenges of running a business with your spouse or family. Our mission is to strengthen families and businesses by helping listeners avoid the mistakes we have made so they can lead and live happily ever after. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Who's Really the Boss podcast. Hey, thanks for having me back. So just this morning we were talking about LinkedIn and my not even a love-hate relationship with LinkedIn. It's hate, more hate. of a hate-hate relationship with LinkedIn. I don't love it. Um, yeah. But if you're on LinkedIn for even three seconds right now, ChatGPT is all over everything um if you're in anywhere i think um and this is going to drop weeks after we record it so it's even going to be more so um a part like talked about like our parents probably will eventually start talking about and that's when you know it's old uh news well honestly like as we plan to release and like plan out the roadmap of what podcasts are coming and when when they will be released and in my mind i just thought we have to release this one quickly because it's going to be so common and so well known that no one's talking about it anymore because it's just part of your daily life and so i really hate jumping on bandwagons and this feels a little bit like jumping on the bandwagon but I think there are people that still are not using ChatGPT. I think there are fewer people who haven't heard about it, but I think that there are people that are not embracing it and adopting it. And so really that's kind of what I wanted to talk through today as far as this episode goes. Yeah, no, I think think it it is. It feels like a cop-out for a topic, but I mean... All we can do is talk to our audience about how we're using it, how we tested it, and how we ultimately taught our team how to use it and set parameters around it. So I think it is, it's timely. We were at a conference um, in Denver, Empower Conference, and it kind of was presented. And I think that's whenever we, even I dug a little bit deeper on how I can teach our team how to use it at an upcoming DBA team retreat. And you had been using it for months. Um, so you want to talk about, I mean, does it feel like it's cheating at this point or is it just a tool that everybody should be using? And there's so many different ones, like obviously OpenAI and ChatGPT is the main one that's getting built into Bing and different search engine capabilities within uh, Microsoft. Microsoft's going to release Copilot later this year that kind of works within Office 365. Google's got their own AI, uh, you know, there's just, it's all out there. So, yeah, I I think that's the hesitation for a lot of people. And I have been using it a lot and I actually influenced. I actually told our kids to use it for certain things that they don't do often because the other thing that I would have told them previously is Google it. Like Google it and yeah. get a starting point, get some references, get some inspiration, Google it and then move on. Well, ChatGPT is so much faster. So AI is so much faster and so um, well, it gives you, much more direct and specific yeah. to exactly what you're asking it rather than pulling all of these resources that may or may not be answering your exact question. Correct. Yeah. You know, it gives you a response versus a recommended um, like, hey, here, go here to learn more versus like the AI is saying, I've done my research and this is what I think the answer to your question is. So, um, 
but yeah, we use it. I mean, we're obviously a small team of 17, you know, a revenue under 3 million. And, um, you know, this technology has kind of changed on how we do certain things. And I think the scariest piece for any writer or maybe any professional is when you open up that blank email, open up that blank word document, and you just got that cursor blinking at you ready to, for you to write and do inputs, whether that's an outline, a PowerPoint presentation, an email that you're like, I got to get my thoughts on paper. So why don't you speak a little bit on how you started using chat GPT and you're using the free version because we even <laughs> talked about this. This uh, was a huge topic of discussion yeah. uh, with us recently on do you go free version or paid version? And so actually one of our guests, our neighbor friend, uh, Matt Schomburg shared that in order to be successful in business, a mentor had shared with him that you have to spend money. Well, my approach is always, what can I do with a free version of something? And then when I am limited by that free version, that's when I will consider paying for it. Uh, that is maybe how I get a lot of my education and do a lot of research is what can I learn for free? Do I still want to move forward and know more? And then I will pay for that service. So I think that's probably how social media works yeah. in general, as far as social media marketing, it's working for me. And so for me, I am using it for a lot of content. So a lot of content creation and mostly I use it for inspiration. So to take what AI comes up with, what AI generates is often very verbose to what I would prefer and even what I would consume. And so it's really taking it, giving it a little bit of your own voice and also editing. Now you can say, make it shorter, yeah. but in my opinion, it still doesn't come across with the same voice that I would use. Yeah, so it's helped you obviously on the social media and the marketing kind of build out a map uh, campaign, so to speak, of pillar topics, certain blogs, and kind of give you a starting point. I think the, the biggest thing that our generation can still do uh, versus our daughters or even younger, because they'll have this technology in their professional lives their whole career, is we can actually still read what it generates and determine whether that's right or wrong. And I think the generation that always grows up with this technology, just kind of like the generations that have always had an iPhone in their hand, they will just be so used to whatever it populates, whatever it says is the truth. And so I think that's the other piece where we currently use it in that fashion and whatever the result is, you still have to read it. And I think what we're seeing some, there was a, um, you know, Charles on our team, we were talking earlier this week and an attorney had used chat GPT for some brief or some filing and it referenced court cases that didn't exist or that weren't relevant to the brief. And so, um, you know, that's, that's really bad professional wise. Um, so I think it will kind of has a mind of its own to a certain extent. And the difference in the free version and the 4.0, which is behind the paywall of $20 a month is the timeliness of the data set that it's working on. Um, so I think the free version is working on a data set that's limited to knowledge, um, like maybe through mid 2021 or something like that. Version 4.0, um, obviously, it is a little bit more um, up to date, not completely up to date. And so that's where you have to be careful. Like in our world, if you reference like tax law or anything like that, 
it could be going back to tax law that is not in place today. And so you have to give it prompts. And I think prompt engineering is a whole new, uh, whole new term uh, that will become widely known. And I think for those that know what prompt engineering is, they're already kind of shaking their head like, duh. But if you don't even know what ChatGPT is, you surely have never heard of prompt engineering. And prompt engineering is just how do you ask it the best questions? How do you filter the results? How do you get it to the end, the, the best answer possible at the end of the day? And you've seen this, you mentioned using it with our kids and hopefully it didn't write certain homework assignments or anything like that. You can use it for that, but you see it in university already. So certain colleges, certain professors, professors, um, say it's not allowed to be used. Some embrace it and say it can be used, but I'm not grading you on the end result. I'm grading it, grading you on the prompts that you ask it along the way to get to that end response. And I think that's the evolution of learning, um, that we're all seeing right now. Yeah, and to your point of not pulling the most current data, I know that when looking at it to write content such as a blog and you want to reference uh, data sets or you want to reference specific websites, specific articles, it may pull some that are no longer there. Websites change often. They change domains or they completely shut down. And so a lot of times AI will reference something that no longer exists. So every single thing that you ask it, you need to fact check it yourself, make sure that it is what you are looking to do. And that if people are reading this and going to try to find more information that you're leading them to, that it's actually leading them somewhere. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, all that to say, like, just read it, uh, no matter what you do. So we've used it for, uh, marketing, kind of social media. You can also use it to write emails. So to you can give it a prompt. So I have copy and pasted a, a client request and just said, you're my assistant, please write a response to so-and-so. And it spits out pretty good stuff. You have to kind of continue to ask it questions, maybe three to four to really get to where you would feel comfortable sending it, but copy and paste that bad boy send it along this way to respond to the client. It really works well when you're referencing certain um, code sections within the IRS or anything, you know, legal code, I guess you could say. Um, it does really well on some of those routine monotonous tasks. The other piece that it can give you a starting point or an outline for giving advice. So you can start putting in prompts like, what would you do? Um, if you were this business owner in this tax bracket, you know, what would you look at? So it kind of, it, it, it does really cool stuff that you as the professional need to build upon. Um, so those are just a few case studies within DBA, how we're using it. Obviously we were in a, pre in a conference, uh, presentation was kind of used in a live setting of what it could do. And, and, and we talked about it and said, that's pretty cool. We've got we've got to address it with our team on the proper use cases of it and what not to put into it, like socials or personal identifiable information, keep it confidential because it is a data set. It is going somewhere. Um, even though the uh, terms of use say that they do their best to, you know, make it confidential. So at our last team retreat, 
we presented on, you know, three or four different things that it could do. And it stole the show. I think, um, I feel like a week or so after people started really playing around with it and it, it helps because people would come to me or other leaders on the team and be like, so-and-so is asking this, how do I respond? I used to give them the answer and say, Hey, here's how I would respond, put it in your own words and send it back, elevate that person as the person who has the answer. So the client builds trust with them. Now my response is, you know, do you drop it in chat GPT or what are your thoughts? You know, just trying to elevate them a little bit better. And I think people are catching on to that because they do it and they'll still have me bless certain things if they feel uncomfortable around it, but it's all about elevating others. So we set parameters. Um, we actually addressed it and said, it's not cheating. It is a tool, uh, that's within our toolbox and it's free or $20 a month. That's your call. Um, use the free version if you don't want to spend the $20 a month, but if you want to play around with it for other things in life, maybe the 20 bucks is worth it. So I feel like it has caught on in the last month or so. I think people are actually using it for certain routine administrative tasks, um, you know, within DBA. So do you think that there is going to be a problem with people being able to think for themselves? Do you think it's going to become something that we rely on so heavily that it's hard to do life without it? I think so. I mean, um, for, for once you go all in, I think you have to almost pause and identify how much a part of life or business you want this to be. And you can set out and, you know, be the high touch anti AI guy. And maybe you have a market for that. There's people that don't want to e-file their tax returns, and, you know, still file paper. So maybe that's your group. Um, I, I think it, it will be generational. And that's where I say, like, we haven't grown up with it. We're being introduced to this in our uh, you know, forties, which is probably mid career, uh, late career for you. And, um, you know, that's the piece where generations after us will remember a time where they didn't have this at their disposal. Our kids will probably remember a time where they didn't have this at their disposal, but their whole professional lives, they will have some type of AI, um, at their fingertips. And so what we're already seeing is AI incorporated into into programs that we already use. And so we already mentioned Google, uh, Bing, different search engines are doing it obviously first cause that's native pretty much. And then it will trickle down into Microsoft Office 365. They're already testing it and have it released ready to go. And um, cool stuff, you know, things where the tasks that you really didn't have to think about and it ties certain things together for the accounting industry, it's going to live in practice management software and be able to do certain tasks there. And you saw a little bit of this with Zapier, um, Zapier links and connecting to different programs. I think this just takes that a step further and it will be good. It will, um, streamline some of those routine tasks to where the professional is not spending their time. They're spending time on where it's best used to do other things. 
Yeah. I just read a quote and I pulled it up um, from James Clear. So James Clear is the author of Atomic Habits and I subscribed recently to his weekly emails because I am not reading that book over and over again every single week. So I'm like, yeah, I re- that is probably one of my favorite books I've ever read. So Atomic Habits, if you haven't read it. But one of the ideas that he sent out this past week was the most invisible form of wasted time is doing a good job on an unimportant task. And I feel like (laughs) that that happens so often. So if it's an email that we're sending and we're having AI generate the response, does the client care how long it took you to come up with that? How creative the wording is? Not really. They mostly care what was the answer and do they understand it? And how can how does it positively impact their life? They, they don't really want the negative impact, um, but how does that impact their lives? And so I think that that's something to really keep in mind is that I personally feel like I am getting lazy because I am able to do things so much quicker. And instead of thinking through and taking the time to like sit and be still and be quiet, now I first go to ChatGPT and then I use that time making whatever it spit out better or relevant um, to something that I think people will look at. Uh, jury's still out on if I'm able to do, to do that or not, if people care or not. But the way I use my time is different and you don't want to waste your time and you certainly don't want to waste your time doing a good job on an um, unimportant task. Yeah, I mean, I think we looked at that in our business and, you know, just from, we know a lot of accountants listen to this and does the client really care who does the tax return? Do they really care who is putting data into a program? No, they care about who's de- who's delivering the advice and do they actually have the avail- availability to have a relationship with that person and talk uh, more wisdom versus work. And so I think that's the piece where... Um, your quote is spot on, you know, James Clear, that's why he sold a gazillion books of that. Um, So, but I think AI will start to replace some of the unimportant tasks that they'll just get done. Um, You think about like an automatic transmission and I love manual transmissions in cars and actually the ability to drive a car. But you think about automatic transmission and it just, it works and you just push the pedal down. If you have a Tesla, it even works, you know, a little bit different too. Um, but you just get, go and, you know, you don't have to shift through gears. So I think it's that kind of parallel to you're not going to be shifting through gears like we used to. Um, it's just going to automatically work at a lot of settings. You will have to set it up or maintain how it works and you be the ultimate driver of that. Because, you know, just like all the Terminator movies, it could take over the world one day, you know, if you give it too much power. So, um, you know, that post-apocalyptic thing that we talk about 50 years from now is probably because we gave it too much uh, knowledge. So we talked about it through kind of how I'm using it in our firm, but not related directly in accounting processes. You mentioned a little bit how we do use it more directly with accounting and advisory. What do you think AI means for other industries? Um, So AI, like in the medical field, I mean, you're pulling all kind of different scenarios at the, at your fingertips really, really fast. Like just think about 
all the research that it could do. And if you go back to like when we were young, um, the, the books of encyclopedias, right. That probably cost a family money, uh, payment plan or whatever to go buy. And the minute they printed that encyclopedia, it was outdated. Right. And so, um, you have that with medical journals. So just having all of that knowledge at your fingertips, even more so than like a Google, because, you go type into Google your ailments and obviously the internet tells you you're dying, you know, or you have some form of cancer or the Mayo clinic or whatever pops up first. I think AI will um, be a physician's best friend, right? You know, and I think whether it's on a, um, you know, uh, more of a cosmetic procedure as well, I think there's some things there that could be seen, whether it's like ortho, for example, like here's all the different scenarios and here's the, the way it could work. Um, law it can totally be used in law. You think about all those old school law library books that you see in the screenshots of uh, really important lawyers um, that they pay a lot of money for. Um, and so all of that can be condensed into, hey, open AI or hey, chat GPT, write me an LLC operating agreement. And it does it really, really fast. Write me a um, last will and testament uh, and put this in it. You know, I, I think, all of that can already be done and you still have to make sure it passes the smell test in the legal setting and gets notarized, which is golly notary is talk about old school. Why do we even have that anymore? You know, with everything that is not paper related today, but I think those are the pieces that those two industries for sure law and even medical, it, it is going to disrupt. I'm really disappointed in myself that I have not been using chat gpt as my WebMD because definitely it would give better answers i feel yeah. like that is something that hey, is a test i need to run <laughs> hey chat gpt is the spot cancer you know <laughs> it's like that uh exactly so i think the other um the other industries it will continue to refine you know it'll never replace a guy who goes out and swings a hammer uh you know or just any uh, any of that stuff it will probably impact that um industry in certain ways to where it makes it more efficient to do certain jobs and things like that, but not, it won't replace all of the human element that we have. I think if there are people who are similar to me in that I like to see what I can do, I'll say on my own, but really what I'm saying is what I can do for free first before I pay for something. Uh, two things that I have tested it with are workout plans and nutrition plans. Hmm. So will it write me a meal plan that has so many grams of protein, fat, and carbs? Now you have to have an idea of, so you, you could start there with, if I, if I want to do this, how many protein, fats, and carbs should I have? Um, again, there's some prior knowledge that you have to have to be able to engineer that prompt correctly to get what you want. But if you just wanted a basic meal plan that was well balanced, I'm sure you could put yeah. that in and get something decent. The other is workout plans. So if you want to target specific areas of your body, which I will spoiler alert, you cannot spot reduce any part, no matter how many exercises you do for that one thing. Uh, but if you wanted a specific workout plan that was say you want to strength train four days a week and two days you want lower body, two days you want upper body, it'll give you the exercises. Like it'll give you the plan for the week. What it can't do is give you accountability. So if that's an area where you're lacking, what it also can't do is help you to make 
adjustments and um, just really come back from manipulating how you're implementing or maybe how you're not able to implement, it doesn't help with that. So I think one area where people can use it to get better are definitely in nutrition and fitness, but not where it's going to replace people who are doing that as yeah. their profession. Yeah, you think about, I mean, we can go down this path. I've got another great example. So that, let's say five years, probably not even that long, a year from now, two years from now, you've written that plan, you've set that it's a goal, you put chat GPT or that assistant in place and it's tied to everything in life. Like Alexa, it's tied to your iWatch, your iPhone. Um, it's making sure that you get up and moving. If not, it's giving you alerts. Um, it's maybe tied into your smart fridge where your smart fridge is not letting you get out the high calorie stuff. <laughs> um, so I think all of that is like the evolution of what could actually be in place. Now, now the other side of that, you talked about limiting food and uh, being a, you know, whatever goals are there. Talk about financial goals, like what could be there and setting a budget up. And then all of a sudden it's tied to your Nest thermostat and it's not letting you increase your Nest thermostat and, and lower your, um, your air to where it knows what your utility cost is and it knows you don't have the money for that this month. It's also tied to your Amex account and it knows you can't buy that thing on Amazon. So it just declines you because that's not within your budget. So is that, you know, uh, is that where we're going as a society? How much control do we really want this to, to have? And what has been talked about here recently is the brain trust of the world, so to speak, you know, some of the tech guys are getting together and almost calling for like a six month pause of this is evolving way too fast. It's going to have overarching economic impacts because jobs are just going to start going away because this is going to be able to do those jobs. And we'll see, you know, if, if development is stopped, open AI is already worth probably more than any ever company ever thought it could be. And, um, you know, it's just one of those pieces where, the evolution is faster than anybody ever thought. Yeah. Well, I think putting on the good business advisor hat and thinking about ChatGPT specifically, Sam, Sam Altman, the creator of OpenAI, he recommended just as business advice that you build your business on a 10-year timeline that you don't get wrapped up in the very near uh, goals or the, ve the very close wins or losses and that you really look at building something on a long-term continuum because you want to create something that has value and significance. I think he has definitely done that. I think something whenever I hear 10 years, right? So you're asking someone, where do you want to be in 10 years? What do you want this to look like in 10 years? You really do have to go straight to values and not what the actual business is going to be because six months, nine months, a year ago, we had no idea that this was even possible, that this was a capability, that things that we had paid other people to do or relied on other people to do. We had no idea that we could have it in seconds with little to no prior knowledge of it. 
Yeah, I, I, we've turned off some technology, some services because of how we're using it. So we've saved anywhere from $800 to $1,000 a month just not having certain softwares in place anymore um, just because it can do it, right? Like for free or for 20 bucks a month, depending on how frugal you want to be. Um, the other thing that will evolve that I think data entry jobs are the first. Um, so whenever you look at that 10 year roadmap for your business, uh, what are those manual processes? And if you're open enough to how to use this tool now and learn this tool and be kind of an adopter of this tool, you will have a longer runway uh, of career or of business success versus the guy who never pulls it out, never um, does it because eventually those people that don't want to file their e-file their tax return go away. Like they either um, just pass on or they are forced to do it. And if you're the guy who they came to for everything paper, you're just not going to be there anymore. So the data entry will go away and there will be a balance between what like our industry is using overseas labor for. I think some of that is getting questioned if data can be entered in by bots and machines and things like that. And that's been there, but it's not ever been as concise and correct as it has now and will be in the near future. So maybe that's where you shift budget. And I I don't think it's going away completely. Like you're still going to spend money, but instead of spending money on data entry or connections or APIs, it'll be just the bots themselves, which is the generative AI. Yeah. And even with our savings or services that we've been able to turn off, it's also because we have a person with capacity in our team that can manage that aspect. It doesn't require nearly as much of their time or even of them to have all of the knowledge and experience to do it. So it's just a fraction of the capacity that it would have been had that service strictly been turned over to just a person. So I think that that's the other thing to consider is that people aren't going away. There are some things that people do that will be done differently, obviously. I mean, we can look at that from our own history and what we've seen in our lifetime, Um, but that the people are still needed to manage these types of things. And so you can't So just to give some clarity around, we were able to turn off some services, but some of those things because I have capacity or other people on our team have capacity to now kind of manage that. And, um, but just on such a smaller scale of time and skill that's needed. I, I think the, the winners and losers out of this will definitely be software companies that the winners will be software companies that embrace it and build it into very quickly. Um, at least try to give it a shot. The losers will be the software companies that ignore it or are so big that they can't implement it. And so um, the accounting world, especially on the tax side, is made up of some very big players. You've got um, Intuit, you've got Thomson Reuters, you've got CCH. Some of those big players are just going to move too slow and other things are going to come up like bubble up as opportunities for smaller software companies. You look at programs like um, Checkpoint IRIA, which is like a um, knowledge database or a library of tax law and cases. 
that's going away. Like no one's going to pay for that in the near future. So Thompson better squeeze all the juice they can out of that in the very near future or incorporate AI into it. Uh, we are a Thompson shop, so we use a lot of Thompson products, you know, their practice management software. Um, they're not going to incorporate AI. Like that's just, they are so slow to adapt and move and release things that we have to look at other practice management softwares that embraces it and just no, no offense to Thompson. That's their call, but other firms are going to move because of the need to move faster and move faster in their business to serve their client better. If not, the world's going to pass you by. And so I think those are the pieces where as a firm leader, as a business leader, ask those questions of the vendors that you use, how are they using it? What's their roadmap of release, everything like that, because you don't want to keep spending money with somebody that's not embracing the future in in any business. And that's going to ultimately make your business stronger because your vendors are embracing new ways of doing things. Yeah. This has been an excellent conversation. I hope that listeners will get out of this conversation just the curiosity to go try it out to see if uh, OpenAI can help them in their business, can help them in life in general, and just not let not let the current technology and the current movement pass them by that they're left in the dust or that they become obsolete because they're unwilling to learn or try something new. Yeah. And I think don't become scared of it. Like don't build it up as something it's, it's a computer program. If it, if you don't like the way it's talking back to you, turn off the computer, unplug it, like throw it out the window. Who cares? Um, but I think those are the How things. How old are you? That was such an old man. Well, comment. it's like the Ron Swanson throwing the, uh, the computer in the dumpster. Um, but I think that's the piece. It's not going to come after you. It's not going to control your Nest thermostat or not give you your Milky Way out of the fridge yet. Um, but I think those are the things that learn a little bit of it now. Ask it some simple stuff like recipes or meal plans or heck, I don't know, you know, like write a letter of recommendation for me. Cause that's what came up yesterday. It's like someone was applying or is going to apply for recognition. And I'm like, I ask as many people as you want for letters of recommendation. It doesn't take anything now. AI does it all. And you give it some prompts and it spits it out. So put it on letterhead, sign it. And you're good to go. It takes two minutes now instead of, ugh, you know, starting fresh. All right. Well, this has been excellent and I will see you on the next. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for hanging with us to the end of another episode. If you have thoughts, comments, or feedback you would like to share, please leave us a comment or review on your favorite podcast listening platform. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. Join us again next week for another great conversation.